Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cruel Summer, a podcast that looks back at each and every G1 Climax Tournament Finals from the years 1991 to 2018. And uh, joining me today is a return guest. He appeared on episode six, uh, I believe, and he, we recovered 1996, Ricky Choshu versus Masahiro Chono. And now he makes his triumphant return here on episode uh, 20, uh, Ta- Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Satoshi Kojima. Uh, please welcome from the Eastern Lariat podcast and also the Eastern Lariat Patreon, uh, Striga. How are you, Striga? <laughs> Hey there, pretty good. Uh, it's a great summer day here in Germany, so I got up early so we can record this. It's a Sunday, that that's why I can be here at 10 a.m. my time. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm hyped for the show. Yeah, I'm very excited. And uh, since the last time we talked, the, the Patreon has just kind of really blossomed a lot. And so much content on, on, the, on that uh, channel, that site, that side of the Eastern Lariat. Like, I've, I spoke with Dylan before, and I just was amazed at, like, how much content there already is like i think it's so many shows like just for like the short time that you've been kind of having the the patreon being active yeah you know these uh, we mainly did the a week of lariat things uh with two seasons up now both focusing on shinya hashimoto and those shows are mostly pretty short like between 15 and 30 minutes but we look at one match in, in each show and put on a little trivia notes uh, to really um, contextualize, or is that the word? To put it into context. That's the word, right? Yes. That's the word. Um, to put it into context. And uh, it's, it's a real fun, fun way to look back at some of the matches that you probably wouldn't have watched uh, if we hadn't talked about it. Um, and also, also Dylan does a lot of stuff on his own. And that's the main reason that we got this Patreon, because he had so many ideas that I just don't have the time to always uh, um, record with him. So he's doing some stuff on his own. We are doing stuff together. So there is uh, really, a, yeah, as he said, there is a good amount of content we have up now. And uh, we got some uh, some listeners already on that, but 20, 21 uh, patrons there. And we're really happy about that, because it's just a side project just uh, to, yeah, to give a little bit more content and uh, get something back in return, maybe. Yeah, and I'm a proud supporter of the Patreon at the Hashimoto level. I, uh, yes, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to be asked to provide some content. I've done two episodes of Pure Heart, Pure Lariat, uh, episode one. Yep. I was the debut guest, and I just recorded, I think, as of this recording, it was just released, uh, episode five, I believe, where Dylan and I talked about the uh, stardom episode of uh, yes. Wrestlers put up by oh fantastic episode yeah yeah oh thank you absolutely i was i I was worried i was gonna get a lot of feedback like you know like kind of the 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 diatribes i kind of went on that show but i don't think i said anything unbecoming or or too outlandish (laughs) you know i think for the for the pure heart pure lariat is the concept is that dylan will put it up on the patreon first and a couple of days later it's going to be uploaded to the regular feed too to provide it to everybody listening and so far, the download numbers have been good, and I'm uh, yeah really happy about how things are going right now. Yeah, I'm just really happy to be able to uh, support you guys. And uh, you know, Dylan keeps asking me, "Did you listen to this episode or did you listen to this show?" And I'm like, "Dude, like, there's <laughs> yeah. so much content." <laughs> I I will be honest with you, Serga. Like, I recently only finished your your debut episode where you kind of just did your biographies on the air, mm-hmm. and that took. That was quite a project for me to kind of finish, but I, I did finish it. So there's a lot of interesting uh, facts and I, and details I learned about both of you. So I, I urge people to go check it out. If you like listening uh, uh, to podcasts about, you know, Japanese professional wrestling, of course, listen to Post Perez, listen to Cruel Summer, but also please go out, support the Eastern Eastern Layer podcast and Patreon. You, you, you won't regret it. I'm a, I'm a big supporter. I give it my ringing endorsement. So there you go. Uh, but here on Cruel Summer, we're talking about uh, episode 20 and it's 2010. And we're looking at what I feel Australia, is like a really kind of um, kind of turning point for New Japan Pro Wrestling with this G1 because of one of the main participants being Hiroshi Tanahashi. I, I feel that, you know, we'll get into it. But this is kind of a like where the Tanahashi we see today really stems from this match and this time of his career. Yes, absolutely. For Tanahashi, before that, he was always looked at as a very good 
wrestler, but he never reached, or at that point he didn't reach the levels that he was known for in the years of like 2012 to 2016 when he was the undisputed top star of the promotion. And here we got to see him unfold really, his true potential with his wrestling in this match that he did, but also with the way he interacted with the crowd and the way he was able to turn the crowd against him within an eyelash. And so Tanahashi was extremely great in this match, but also the opponent he had, Satoshi Kojima. Just coming back from all Japan, it was it was much like a homecoming. Even though he had, he had been there before, he was the uh, quadruple crown champion in 2008, I believe. 2006, I'm not sure right now, when he held both the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and the Triple Crown Championship. But he did that as an all-Japan wrestler. He left all, he left New Japan in 2002 with Muto, came back in 2010, and it, it was really like a homecoming because he returned to a New Japan that was vastly different than the New Japan that he left, that was very shoot-oriented, and he didn't really want to have anything to do with that. Went to all-Japan with Muto, and WH, we just also did a show for the Eastern Lariat Patreon, A Week of Lariat, Hashimoto versus Kojima. And we noted that basically what Muto, Kojima and Hashimoto did is take the New Japan style outside of New Japan, well, the New Japan style of the late 90s, and put it into Zero One and into All Japan's uh, heavyweight division. Yeah, it's really interesting how... The, the paradigm shifted in all Japan after Mudo came in, not only with Kojima, but with also with Kendo Kashin and Kaz Hayashi, who I, I feel is so underrated, like how he changed the way the junior title was used in that company during the time that, you know, Kaz Hayashi and Mudo were, were in the company before, you know, they, they both left to form Russell One with Shuji Kondo and, and most of the kind of the younger talent of all Japan at that time. Um, it, I, I made a point with, like on the episode I did with Jojo Remy uh, talking about like Tenzan versus Akiyama, how that G1 climax in particular is very much structured like an all Japan match, not a new Japan match. It, the way mm-hmm. it slowly builds and that Akiyama is basically controlling the pace of that match and turning it into like a King's Road style match. So it's, it's kind of interesting that you bring up this point where, you know, Budo and Kojima kind of turned all Japan into new Japan. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was a big part of their, the idea going into all Japan, and as you mentioned, uh, I, b- I believe before Kasayashi, there was no junior heavyweight that ever had so much power inside all Japan before. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, I'm trying to look up the uh, IWGP Heavyweight Championship uh, <laughs> reigns to find Kojima's uh, title reigns here. Uh, give me a second. But I, I, what I, what I think about Kasayashi is that like there is this connection that obviously Mudo made with with Kaz Hayashi when they were both in WCW in around like, uh, what is it? 2000, I guess, right. would be his last run in the company yeah. um, that it carried on. Like when WCW <clears throat> folded, you know, Mudo said to Kaz Hayashi, come on in, let's, let's do something with you. Let's change the junior division. It is, it, and it, 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 they really made the junior division more like a new Japan style junior division where you had clear delineations between heavyweights and, junior heavyweight so i i was a big fan of that era not not everything that happened that in that in that company at that time but i i did like it a lot and okay i found it satoshi kojima february 20th 2005 at new year gold series he he, oh yeah right exactly he he won there uh yeah so there you go so and then later on we'll talk about his second title reign stemming from the 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 result of this uh, g1 finals but let's let's talk about the G1 Climax from 2010. It was a two-block, 16-man round-robin tournament held from August 6th to August 15th, and it was the 20th anniversary of the tournament, Striga. Yes, the big anniversary, and what a big final match they got for the for the tournament. And I looked up the final on New Japan World, and I found out that on the... I, I again remember that on the final show, the show on August 15. There also was a 30-minute time limit draw between Shinsuke Nakamura and Goshi Ozaki. And I actually, my, my actual plan was to watch the entire show, but uh, that wasn't possible because it's not up on New Japan World. No, it's really, 
a, a thing that I feel they're really lacking in, in putting up these, yeah. these like the entirety of shows, especially I think for things like G1 Climax, especially the finals, I think it'd be nice for them to put up the entire shows for fans. Yeah. I, I remember that the tournament itself was pretty good. Not outstandingly good. I, th I think the 2008 Climax was overall a much better tournament than this one. But you still had some very good matches inside this tournament. And if you if you look at Block A with uh, Tanahashi, Naito in there, Carl Anderson at that time really coming out uh, to be a singles wrestler in New Japan, which he later on sadly didn't uh, do much often. No. Um, no, and you, but you also had Prince David in there, basically as a junior heavyweight. So many, many cool and at that point unique matches that you got in this A block. And in block B, obviously, the big return from Satoshi Kojima, as, still as an outsider. And also Go Shiozaki as an outsider from Pro Wrestling Noah, which was very interesting. He got a lot of points. He got nine, nine points. And in the end, just coming very close to making it to the finals. If he, if he hadn't uh, done the draw with Nakamura, uh, he'd, he'd been in the finals, and Kojima beat Hiroki Goto to, to advance to the finals, which also s sounds like a great match at that pa uh, point in time. Yeah, so just to fill out like the names of both blocks, you, you already mentioned some of the bigger names, but uh, from A block we had Hiroshi Tanahashi, Togi Makabe, Manabu Nakanishi, Toriyano, uh, Prince Devitt, who was replacing Naomichi Marafuji, who would have been in the yeah, tournament exactly. if, if he didn't get an arm injury the month before. I, I, can't, I can't imagine how good like a 2010-era Fuji would have made this G1 <laughs> climax. It would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tetsuya Naido, uh, strong man, not one of my favorite wrestlers, but he was in this. Uh, <laughs> and Carl Anderson rounding out the A block. Uh, B block, of course, Satoshi Kojima. And it was kind of interesting. His story was that, you know, he fell out of favor with All Japan because, according mm -hmm. to like what I was able to read, that he, he, he injured his arm. He was coming back and they wouldn't renegotiate yes. his contract until he was fully healed. And I can exactly. understand, I can understand like his feelings. So he said, "Well, well, fuck you. I'm going to go to back to Alt New Japan." And they were more than willing to take him back. So he he, he came back to the company and he's in this year's G1. Uh, also, Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, Go Shizaki representing Crossing Noah, Roki Goto, Yuji Nagata, Giant Bernard, Yujiro Takahashi, and Wataru Inoue. What overall though? What which block would you say excites you the more on paper? Um, it's really not easy to say, but uh, I'd probably go for block B just for the sake of some matches in block A that don't really sound very interesting, to be honest, like Toru Yan and Strongman. Manamu Nakanishi, even at that point, wasn't very good anymore. Togi Makabe always a brawler, so Block B sounds more exciting than Block A. Definitely with the you know participation of Kojima and and Shizaki. And the thing with A Block, like we see Prince Devitt's name, but he he's not the Prince Devitt that would be you know that no. would become you know Prince uh, Finn Balor later on, or even Bullet Club version of Prince Devitt. So it, you know he's eating a lot of pins in this tournament. So yeah, and as for Satoshi Kojima, you mentioned that he had an injury. He injured his elbow he i'm not ex exactly sure about the exact injury that he had but he had some kind of nerve damage in his elbow which makes a lot of sense when you look at kojima's offense he is very much based around uh, throwing hard lariats and hard chops in the corner so that's an injury that will come along the way when you're doing the style that kojima did and yes he left um, all japan then and i believe the idea was as you said that he would heal up but he never said that he would return. So everybody was guessing where he would show up. And finally, then, on July 10 of that year, he made an appearance at a New Japan show saying that he would be in the G1 Climax. And I'm sure the fans lost their minds when he made that announcement. Uh, let's look at each participant's path to the, the finals. Uh, for Tanahashi, he is able to beat Makabe, Nakanishi, Strongman, and Yano. He loses to Carl Anderson and Prince Devitt and draws with Naito. So, you know, even at this point in his career, Tanahashi's doing, you know, whatever he can to, like, elevate people. In, in this case, Anderson and Devitt. Hmm. Yes, for Prince Devitt, this was a crucial victory going over... Still, as, as I mentioned, Tanahashi was not the big star that he was in later years, but, but already here, one of the top players in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Prince Devitt, just a junior heavyweight just in um, quotation marks, just a junior heavyweight being in the tournament. 
and getting a win over this big star was a huge, huge accomplishment for him. And also for Carl Anderson, this victory in the early stages, that's always something that Japanese companies like to do in their tournaments, that they will have a huge upset in the first few matches of the tournament to spark the interest of the viewers and to to put a little bit of doubt behind uh, certain wrestlers like Tanahashi here, for example, who everybody expected to win his block. And Anderson winning here was a huge boost for him too. He wasn't around at that point for a very long time in, in New Japan. He only... Well, he debuted. He officially debuted in 2008 as a tag team wrestler, and just really began to to find his place inside the company. And when you watch the 2012 G1 Climax, you can see how immensely popular this guy was. Oh yeah, I I think you know in some respects you can say that the the Bullet Club you know idea was like one of the best things to happen to his career i would argue that it's probably one of the worst things to happen to his career <laughs> yes me too yeah because like he was just regulated to being a tag team wrestler when i think he had so much yeah. potential to be as big a star as say like uh Prince Devitt, Kenny Omega or AJ Styles i think yeah absolutely he belted him at some point he would have really done really well with the IWGP heavyweight title. It's, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's probably never going to happen at this point in his career. It's, it's a shame because I thought 2000 and, yeah, 2010 and then like in the, in the match he has with Okada in, what were we saying? Uh, let me just look it up. Uh, in 2012, like that, that was like, Carl Anderson was red hot and like you could have done so many things with this guy, but it's a shame. Uh, let, let's talk about Kojima's path to the finals. He beats Bernard Goto. Inoue, Shiozaki, and Yujiro. He suffers losses to Shinsuke Nakamura and Yuji Nagata. And this this year, there were no semifinals as 2009 was the last year they used that format. And the last day featured the last of the block matches, which would determine the finalists later in the evening. Um, I gotta ask you straight, which, which format do you prefer? I'm, I'm a big proponent of semifinals. I'm a big proponent of semifinals as well. If you listen to the Eastern Larridge, for each and every tournament that we discuss, we always want the semifinals back. Whether it be the, the Champion Carnival, Best of the Super Juniors, Fire Festival, G1 Climax, give us the semifinals. Well, why do you want the semifinals back? I think it puts an extra emphasis on the final days. Like this format that we had in 2010 was a little was a different than the formats we have nowadays. I can I can see this being a a thing in between the two extremes of having semifinals and having none tournament matches whatsoever on the final day. We we had six tournament matches on the final day, two tag matches, and then the finals. That's that's a pretty good concept as well. But the way they are doing it now is basically the final day of every tournament is usually a bunch of tag team and multi man matches. Sometimes you get a title match in between. But usually the final day isn't all that interesting anymore because there's really no suspense for the fan except for the final. And putting two semifinals in the opening matches would create a little bit more suspense, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I completely agree with your, your sentiments there and I, I echo them. I do think it adds more drama to have semifinals. Like, as someone who's, who's gone to you know, the finals several times in, in you know, my time in Japan that I, I go to them and I'm like, okay, another six-man tag match. Okay, another tag match. Okay. When we get to the finals, I would rather they just cut the show in half and they just give more time to the finals maybe. Yeah. So, but it doesn't look like they're going to do go back to the semifinals. I think they're quite happy with the drama that they create within the block tournaments. Especially- and you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny how they do it. It's, it's always like they, they have semifinals on the final day. And if you look at these, this year's G1 Climax cards, you can already guess what the deciding matches on the second, on, on the second, and, uh, on the second to last day will be in the G1 Climax. Because it's, it's almost like, like having semifinals when two guys square off and, and only two guys can make it to the finals at that point. Yeah, I, I tend to think that the for the fans, the, the, the drama is the journey, not the destination. <laughs> if we go to the finals, like, I have my guesses as to who will be in the finals. And then, you know, based on what the last kind of last last four shows will be, it's like, okay, well, this is the this is the last this is the first night of Budokan. This is yeah. the main event. Okay, well, this pro this person is probably going to go 
has a very good chance of going into the finals. And then the, the second last night at Budokan will be like, okay, that person's going to be the winner of A block or B block, whatever block they're running on that particular night. So, yeah. But let, let's get into the match itself, Strega. So we open uh, on New Japan World with Masahiro Chono. He's in the ring because he's the special guest ring announcer. Uh, and I got to say, for Masahiro Chono, he looks fantastic, Strega. He's wearing black jeans, yeah. black t-shirt, black sunglasses. And to top it all off, he's wearing a black sleeveless denim vest embroidered with metal studs. What a fucking look this is, Strega. Man, this, this is always a great way for him to promote his line of clothing, his Aristrist uh, clothing line that he had has with his uh, German wife. It's uh, it's a great look that he had, and for him, this this role was pretty good at this point. He wasn't a very inspiring wrestler wrestler anymore at this time, but being there and hyping up the crowd before the final was very good. Yeah. So the first person to be introduced is Satoshi Kojima. Come on. As we get from from, from Chono, uh, next is Tanahashi. Come on! I love those little like he's introducing them. As, it's almost like a video game. It's awesome. It's great. I Masahiro Chono is just so great. I I really you know was saddened how his kind of career declined, how his in ring style declined. But like this role for him is so great, just because he has he has so much charisma. It it just it just comes off so much better in a in a non wrestling role in a completely speaking role. I think it's just a great fit for him so um let's continue uh tanahashi looks like he's paying tribute to bret hart with his black (laughs) tights and pink trim uh you know bret hart very you know popular i feel in japan like we have you know i think yoshinari ogawa over in uh noah was a huge fan of bret hart definitely asushi aoki rest in peace was a big fan of bret hart i definitely think there's something to be said maybe tanahashi is a big fan of bret hart with, uh, Wasn't looking... Tanahashi more of a Shawn Michaels guy? I think so, but who? Yeah, I'm sure he liked Bret Hart as well. Who doesn't hmm. like? Who doesn't like Bret Hart? You know, I think it's always like for Japanese wrestlers. He was more, I as I seem to recall, he was more of a Kobashi fan when he was growing up, and then it's kind of interesting I... that he went to New Japan. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. You you think usually they they follow the path of the wrestler they admire who then maybe becomes the senpai, and then they are with the promotion that the guy is with. So, yeah. Well, and ultimately, he made the right choice in going to New Japan (laughs) wrestling. Uh, Right away, we get a big Kojima call from the fans. Uh, The match starts. There's a a strike exchange right off the bat. Tanahashi with forearms to the jaw, and Kojima with slaps to the the life-saving chest of Tanahashi. I guess Kojima forgot that this this chest of Kojima's, of of Tanahashi's, can stop a knife. You know, piercing his heart. So <laughs> yeah. he, he he didn't realize that these these slaps to Tanahashi's chest were pretty pretty uh, ineffective. You know. Yes, and and we right went to the story of the match as Tanahashi straight at in, the, in the early beginnings of the match going into the heel direction when he takes off Kojima's elbow pad and I believe from the injured arm and hits his arm on the mat several times and the crowd boos Tanahashi and. And I noted who Tanahashi seemed to be right in his element in this in this uh, environment. He, he felt felt very comfortable being in the heel position here and uh, attacking Kojima's arm. Yeah, before that, we we see like some more exchanges. Like Tanahashi does a drop kick, Kojima hits a shoulder tackle, and I made a note of like I was like listening to the crowd, and it's very clear that the women in the audience are supporting Tanahashi, and the men are supporting mm-hmm. Kojima. So you have this kind of weird, like dynamic that's happening in in New Japan at this point. That it started really early with like with the ascent of Tanahashi, where I felt what I called the Dragon Gate effect was creeping into <laughs> into New Japan. So like you have in Tanahashi, like the Ikeman wrestler that gets a lot of support from from the women fans, and a lot of the men fans, you know, it's very similar to, to American style wrestling. They kind of just will support the guy opposed to him. <laughs> so in this case, it would be Kojima. And that's something that really transcends language barriers. You have the same in WWE, basically. Exactly. Uh, at this point, Chono can be heard putting over uh, Kojima's All Japan accomplishments. Like he's saying he's won the Champion Carnival. He's he's a former Triple Crown champion, which I thought was a really interesting touch from Chono. <laughs> I guess like he's Chono, so he can say whatever the fuck he wants. So they're not, they're not <laughs> yes. going to say anything to him. Uh, at some point, they... and it's and it's really different when you look at it from American wrestling, where in American wrestling, you would always 
bury the guy that would leave the company and you in the in the new company you would never talk about their accomplishments unless you're Eric Bischoff in WCW in 1996 but WWE for example never acknowledged any TNA accomplishments for example and and really doesn't do that with New Japan either they would sometimes say these two wrestlers have met in Japan something like that but they would never go out and say, hey, they've won the top tournament of this organization and they've been a champion in that organization because of the fact that in Japanese wrestling they sometimes have interpromotional matches like Kojima and Tenzan had. Uh, they will just go for it and just say like it is. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know, Tanahashi going after like Kojima's arm. Uh, I felt at this point this is him just showing off his very underrated ground game. Like, he is actually a really good technical wrestler. Uh, big boos from the crowd as Tanahashi slams and kicks at Kojima's arm. Uh, Kojima is able to catch uh, one of Tanahashi's kicks and proceeds to elbow the shit out of his right knee. So the story yes. here is, you know, Tanahashi's going after Kojima's left arm and uh, Kojima is going after Tanahashi's right knee. Yes, and then there was a moment when Kojima whipped Tanahashi, into, or wanted to whip Tanahashi into the corner for his Ishautsu Bakayaro, but Tanahashi trips and falls because of the leg attacks, and ultimately Kojima is able to hit Ishautsu Bakayaro, but I was very confused about this because nobody really reacted to it. To the call of Ichazo Bakayaro? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah exactly. It's weird. I don't know. I think he kind of teased it at some point. I know he teased it in his match with, with Tenzan, where he was going to do it, but he, he didn't because he's playing the heel. Mm. So he doesn't want to get the, the crowd on his side with one of his like, you know, signature spots in most of his matches. Um, I don't know. Maybe people kind of forgot about him to some extent. I don't know. I, can't, I can't explain it, you know. Um, at that but I noted too, at, at this moment, sorry to cut you off, but, but I noted too that Kojima still sold his arm when going to the top rugby. Obviously, he does his elbow smash into the corner. The guy falls out of the corner. Kojima goes to the top and hits his elbow drop. But he sold his arm, which cost him. And Tanahashi then is able to attack him with a drop kick and uh, to land a tope from the outside. So he prevented the, the elbow drop with that. Yeah, I, I made a note of that exact move sequence where he does the top rope elbow and then he just ends up hurting himself. And I made a, yeah. I made a note of saying, saying, what a dumbass move on Kojima's part. <laughs> uh, we're outside of the ring now. And at, at some point, like... Uh, Tanahashi lands on the apron, like he jumps outside the to the apron from the from inside, and he hits Kojima with a somersault somersault flip dive to the floor. You know something that we come to expect from Tanahashi. Not not in two thousand nineteen anymore. It'd be very no. rare to see that from him in this day and age. Uh, we go back in the ring, and Tanahashi goes for a flurry of strikes, including a mm -hmm. flying forearm to Kojima's face. Uh, Tanahashi hits a beautiful second rope. Flipping cross body block and gets a two count on Kojima. This, and this is really high pace that we're seeing from these two guys now. It's very high pace, and I noted too that Tanahashi was slapping his right leg that Kojima attacked before that. So he really sold that throughout the match and made sure to put an emphasis on this leg work that Kojima did. Oh, I think the selling from both men has just been was outstanding in this match. Uh, Kojima hits a big spine buster. He follows up with elbows, including a rolling elbow that knocks Tanahashi down. Uh, Tanahashi catches Kojima on the top rope and goes for a superplex. But uh, Kojima is able to get down to the apron outside. <laughs> and this is probably my, my, my favorite spot in the whole match. Straight this up. was so great. <laughs> he, he grabs Tanahashi by the hair and fucking blasts him with a lariat that, yeah. that sends, literally, it sends Tanahashi head over ass uh, to the mat. Yeah, he flips back into the ring like, like he was going for an Asai moonsault. This was fucking amazing. And it really reminded me of a similar spot, spot that Stan Hansen did to uh, Kenta Kobashi in All Japan. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I was like, I, I popped out of my seat, seriously. I was like, Holy shit, he killed him with this lariat. That was so great. Uh, yeah, and he, and he also continued with something that, that reminded me of, of someone else because Kojima then hits the CCD, the Cozy Crush Dynamite. And this move is very similar to Tenzan's Tombstone Driver. And it almost made his matches against Tenzan that we saw in 2005 and 2006. They had this almost one-hour time limit draw that Kojima won with four seconds left on the clock. 
And these matches were always kind of a mirror match because these two were tag team partners and they had very similar moves in their arsenal. Yes. I always thought the Cozy Crush Dynamite was very similar to Misahara Misawa's uh, Emerald Flosion move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Didn't he develop that in, like, a match like he's going to have with Misawa? I don't know. I, I, Did he? I, I, I'm sure. Maybe. I have to look that up. Anyways. Uh Tanahashi blocks another Lariat attempt. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so you talked about him. Yeah, sorry. He after yeah, and also, this, also Kojima, Kojima is limbing at this point. Like Tanahashi selling his arm, he's selling his, his leg. Yeah, so after the CCD... Uh, Tanahashi is also selling his leg. So. Yeah, uh, Kojima removes his right elbow pad, signaling his Lariat, mm-hmm. but Tanahashi is able to catch him with the sling blade. Uh, Tanahashi blocks another Lariat. Basement dropkick to the knee and uh, to... And st- does a dragon screw leg whip to Kojima's uh, lariat arm. And then he does another one. Multiple times. Yeah, multiple times. I thought, oh, this is so great. Now he's just like, he's going back to the arm. He's doing moves that you would normally use on someone's leg. That he, but he's doing it on, you know, Kojima's big weapon, his, his lariat arm. And then he goes, he gives a drop kick to the bad left arm as well. So just incredible, like, storytelling in this match between Tanahashi and Kojima. Yes, and also... Then Tanahashi goes for the high fly flow, but the high fly flow lands on Kojima's knees, and that is something that was very important in Hiroshi Tanahashi in Hiroshi Tanahashi's big matches. That whenever he landed on his opponent's knees, not only would Tanahashi sell his ribs, but also the opponent would sell his knees because obviously there is a big guy that landed straight on his knees, and that was always something that I really appreciated because it totally made sense. Why would why would only the guy that landed on the knees be hurting exactly it would hurt your it would hurt your knees as well uh yeah and then this is a, another amazing sequence in the match we get uh, kojima going for a japanese rolling clutch two count backslide two count modified michinoku driver two count uh dragon screw leg whip, uh screw leg whip to the arm again high fly flow mm-hmm. to kojima's back back to the top high fly flow but this time kojima rolls out of the way instead of like uh, bring up his knees just incredible like all these ma- moves 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 kick out kick out kick out it's so exciting it's just Tanahashi at this point I'm just like my god this man is a fucking wrestling machine yes he also hit a cross arm German suplex for a two count but then Kojima was able to hit a Koji Kata and both are really exhausted at this point and then also Tanahashi uses his dragon suplex and that was always the move that he originally wanted to end his matches with going back to his trainer Tatsumi Fujinami who was very influential in his career but it turned out to not be his finishing move he used it sometime in some matches in some big matches but not really uh, a ongoing theme in his in his um, history and then hits more dragon screws but these dragon screws are not enough to take away the go one lariat that Kojima hit on Tanahashi so Kojima really fighting against the odds here. Yeah, so at this point, like you know, like we're we're looking at all these, like a dragon screw, like another another one to the the lariat arm. Tanahashi hits the rope thing, and Kojima <laughs> blasts him with a lariat from his damaged arm for a big two count. Uh, Kojima hits the ropes, but you know Tanahashi ducks. Kojima bounces back and finally hits the lariat with his right arm this time. One, two, three. Kojima wins. This epic battle for the in the G1 Climax Finals from this year at 21-25. This feels like, you know, I wrote down that this feels like Kojima's homecoming after being in all Japan for all these years. Yeah, being put over the guy that would carry the company was a great accomplishment for Kojima coming just coming back here. And I noted too that the finish was so outstanding. It was almost like like a duel at high noon in a small town. In Texas, but this time it was in Sumo Hall. It's both both are going for all or nothing. Definitely, both go to the ropes. Tanahashi ducks under the first lariat attempt, but they 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 always go back to the rope. They they run into each other, and then Kojima hits him with the deciding lariat to score the pinfall. This could have gone either way. Either the lariat would have hit or the sling blade would have hit, but Kojima was the one to hit the lariat and to win the duel at high noon and to get the pinfall. Amazing finish to an outstanding match. Yes, and then let's let's talk about the uh, the post match uh, ceremony. I, I actually asked you to like maybe go through this. This will be your 
exclusive uh, portion of the show. Well, I uh, I watched it, but I obviously only only caught that Kojima got a bunch of trophies, including also, of course, the G1 flag, and he poses with them all. And then after that, he announced that he would be going for the IWGP Heavyweight title without a briefcase. Yay! No briefcase. I'm not. A big, yes. I'm not a big fan of that gimmick, to be honest with you. Uh, uh. And Kojima would get his shot at the IWGP Heavyweight title on October 11th at Destruction 2010 in Sumo Hall, and he would defeat then champion Togi Makabe to become uh, the IWGP Heavyweight Champion for the second time. Yes, and I believe, without looking it up, he lost it to Hiroshi Tanahashi in the Tokyo Dome. Was that the big... Uh, yeah, I, I think you're correct on that. I have to look it up, but I, I, will, I will trust your memory, Striga. I think it's a very airtight memory when it comes to Japanese wrestling. Let's see. January. Uh, is it... Did he lose that? Okay, let me see here. Yes, he lost it. He lost it on January 4, 2011 to Tanahashi. Yes, you're right. At Wrestle Kingdom 5. And this is when they were branding the, the January 4th tech, Tokyo Dome shows mm-hmm. as Wrestle Kingdoms. So that uh, brings us to the end of the match portion of the show. But like, just overall thoughts on the match itself, Striga. I thought the match was outstanding. I thought we had two guys who were on top of their game. Satoshi Kojima had his most successful runs up until this point in All Japan. And maybe you could say his All Japan time was more successful when you look at the titles that he held but him coming back here for the year 2010 and up until like 2014-15 he was a masterful professional wrestler and still on top of his game now he's, he's winding down a little bit but still is a very good professional wrestler and on on the other side Tanahashi was just ascending the, to the top of New Japan uh, I don't think that they could have booked a better final match for this uh, occasion for the 20th anniversary of the G1 Climax. And it, in my opinion, totally lived up to the hype that the G1 Climax has and that the 20th anniversary was was to be expected from by the crowd. Because you had this guy coming back from All Japan that embodied the spirit of New Japan as it was before the Inokiism era, and now he came back to fight a guy that was shaped under Tatsumi Fujinami, but that clearly was more influenced by American wrestling. And this combination of this late 90s New Japan style and this modern New Japan heavyweight style was really the foreshadowing of what we would get in later years from the heavyweight division in New Japan pro wrestling. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said uh my my thing with this is that also it feels like in some ways like metaphorically speaking there's like two ships passing by each other and just you know they're they're you know one signaling is you know tanahashi he's going to the top and and kojima is kind of like not winding down necessarily but like his era his generation is kind of like going to the other side you know like where where Mm. tanahashi nakamura later on okada naito uh, Goto were all like, okay, we're we're going to the top. We're carrying this company through the next, uh, you know, the next ten years and beyond. So it's really prophetic. I feel match for this, even though Koji- even though Kojima won, I still feel this is like like you're saying, just a signal of what we are going to get for from this point to 2019. So really great match, especially because Kojima won this tournament and won the heavyweight title, but then. At the big stage in the Tokyo Dome, Tanahashi took back the belt. Exactly. So and so that brings us, yeah, final. This is the final part of the match part of the show. We're on to the trivia. And, and Striga, I, I, <laughs> I have, you know, again, I've, uh, you know, geared the, the trivia towards uh, the, the charts in, in Germany in August of 2010. Oh. And actually, I, you know, like uh, there's one, the number one album. Let's go with the number one album. It's from a German band. Uh, they, they're they a member of this movement, this musical movement called the New German Hardness. Uh, are you familiar with that music genre? Well, not so much, to be quite honest. Uh, I'm not, a, not very much into German music, I gotta say. I'm more, uh, interna- I'm more, more, more much of an international guy. So... Um, Hmm. 
Is it, is it unheilig? Yes, unheilig. Ah, okay, that, that makes sense at that point in time because a lot of people were into this band and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> What's the name of their <laughs> album at this time? Uh, I believe the album is called Große Freiheit, which means uh, big freedom. Yes, and yeah, unheilig, which means unholy. I had to look up all these words, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and in German, the, the new German hardness music genre in German is... I, I, I'm not going to try to attempt to butcher your, your language, Striga. It's, uh, can you say it? Neue, like, new, it's new German, like, in, in German. Yeah. Uh, I, should I try? Okay, neue Deutsch Harte, like that. I, <laughs> neue, neue Deutsche Härte, yeah. I, ne I never really thought that would be a fitting title to, to brand music. It's kind of, I think you could say it's, The attempt of gothic music crossed with popular music. Okay. So kind of like, what would the American equivalent of that be? Like Evanescence? Yeah, something like that. Something like that? Okay. But, but Evanescence is more like in, in the rock direction and not as, as pop music uh, heavy. This is true. Uh, what would the number one song on the charts be? It's, uh, I don't think these are a German act. Hmm, I don't know. In that 2010, that's uh, is it also something from Unheilig? Because at that point they were really popular. But maybe maybe Shakira too. Uh no, it's a song called "We Speak No Americano" by Yolanda. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. By Yolanda oh, Be exactly. Cool and D Cup, I guess is the way you would say this artist's name. Uh, oh yeah, I have no that idea. Immense, immensely popular. Yeah, I have no idea who these artists are. <laughs> <laughs> like every every time you turned up the radio, you you would hear that song. Okay, uh, number one movie. I'll give you a clue. It's uh, it's a movie directed by uh, a British director. Mm. It, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, um, really? Hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio in two thousand and ten. Hmm. Give me, give me another hint. Another hint. Okay, so uh, it really fucks with your mind. This movie. Oh, then it's uh, what? What's it called? Um, uh, Inception. Inception. Yes. Uh, which a movie I love dearly. It's like the the breakout role for uh, for Tom Hardy at this point in his career, and just it's by Christopher Nolan, who of course directed the uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. This is, I think, his first movie following the conclusion of like the Dark Knight Rises. So really great movie from Christopher Nolan uh, Inception. I urge people to go check that movie out if you haven't seen it. Let's move on to the wrestling portion of the trivia. Who is the IWGP junior heavyweight champion? Without looking it up, I'd say Prince David. You're correct. And this is part of his like epic 364 day mm. reign. So he's one day shy of having an entire year of holding this title, which... Uh, it's too bad for him. Uh, who are the uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling World Tag Team Champions? <laughs> uh, 2010. Must have been the Voodoo Murderers H still, still? No, I'll give you a clue. No? One of them you picked in the Rage in the Cage first episode that I listened to this past week. Oh. It's Taru... It's not Taru. It's no, no one in the Voodoo Murders. Oh. Who did I pick in the first episode of Rage in the Cage? Uh, I picked Onita. I picked... Kendo Kashin. Not Kendo Kashin. He's, he's, I, I think he's Kendo gone Kashin? by this time. Ah. He's a big hmm. man. He's a very big man. He's a big man. Who did I pick in the Rage in the Cage thing? Hmm. Let me... Can you drop another hint, maybe? He's he he's not native Japanese, but he's accepted as Japanese. Is it Tayokea? Tayokea is one of them, but yeah, who's his partner though? That I'm trying to talk about. Oh, Akibono. Akibono. So Tayokea and Akibono were the uh, AJPW World Tag Team Champions, uh, GHC Heavyweight Champion at this time. 2010. Oh. Uh, it was not. Was it? 
2010. Let me see. Morishima was before 2010. This man is still in Noah to this day. Was it Marufuji? It's the other one. Or Sugiura. Sugiura, yes. This is part of this okay. massive, epic 500... Oh, yeah, the big, the big boss Sugiura title reign. Yeah, 581 days, 14 defenses. I, I don't think anyone's beaten that record. By the way, he broke the title uh, defense record in Germany when he defended the title against uh, Cesaro at that point, Claudio Castagnoli. Wow. Very good piece yes. of trivia right there. Uh, so yeah, like Sigera, who's also still probably the second biggest star in the company outside of Marafuji in, in, in Pro Cino in, in uh, 2019. Let's, let's move to America. Who is the Ring of Honor champion at this time? In 2010, was it Tyler Black? Yes. Was it Tyler Black? It's okay. Tyler Black, Mr. Twitter himself. Yeah, recently. Uh, and final final trivia question. I, I made this. I don't know if this is going to be difficult for you. In Chikara, the Campeones de Parajas, who, who are they? Oh, God. Was it the um, the colony? It's not the colony. These would be people, these would be wrestlers you'd be very familiar with before they were in Chikara, I think. Before they, oh, then it's, uh, then it's the Kings of Wrestling. It's one half of the Kings of Wrestling, but with a different partner. Oh, the 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 Bruderschaft des Kreuzes. Yes. So the team. Uh, of... Ares and uh, Double C, Claudio Castagnoli. Yes, but they were known as something else. Like before they were in Chicara, they were. Yes, before they were in Chicara, they were uh, the Swiss Money Holding. So I saw Claudio Castagnoli like before, like he went to Ring of Honor. He was doing indie shows in in Toronto, I think, for a group called UWA Hardcore Wrestling. And this is the time he's wearing like the the suit pants, the the sleeveless uh, mm. dress shirt, yeah. and the tie. <laughs> and I'm not really a big fan of that look, but I I just thought this guy is like a really good wrestler for someone his size. And, yeah. And I just like okay, I'm gonna buy. So I bought one of his earliest T-shirts, which is a yellow T-shirt with <laughs> with like a suit like drawn onto it. You know. <laughs> and it, it says like I think it says on the back Claudio Castagnoli with with like the scent sign. You know, on, yeah. on it. and I think that the, the S's were all dollar signs. So I, I have mm. one of those back in my closet over it back in Toronto. I, I should dig it out. Uh, again. I was just going to ask if you still have that shirt. I do have it. I, I, yeah, but, but, but not at your place right now. So I would really love to see a photo of that. <laughs> okay. I'll try to remember. I'm going back to Toronto this August. I'll, 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 yes, I'll yes. dig it out. And I'll take a picture of <laughs> one of Claudio Castagnoli's earliest t-shirt that he, he sold directly from the, the gimmick table at, Indie shows back in back in uh, this day and age, uh, which it would be before 2010, obviously. So yeah, uh, what a great throwback! Yeah. It must have been like 2008 around that point when he went over to become an independent wrestler in the states. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah, very long time ago. Like and was like yeah, it started his big you know his long relationship with with Chris Hero you know before mm-hmm. they became Kings of Wrestling and everything, but. With that said, let's finish off this episode of Cruel Summer. Striga, please plug anything that you feel like uh, you need to like get off your chest. Yeah, depending on when this comes out, we definitely are doing our huge look at the G1 Climax shows again this year. We at the Eastern Lariat, Dylan and I, usually we, we talk about two or three shows of the G1 Climax in each episode of the show. So there will be around five to six, maybe seven shows uh, just looking at the G1 Climax events. And also, of course, we have our Patreon up at patreon.com slash Eastern Lariat. We have three tiers. We have the $1 Chono tier, the $3 Muto tier, and the $5 Hashimoto tier. And at these tiers, you will get different content. And at this point, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we really have a much we have a lot of content up there because when consider that we only do this uh the two of us only doing this it's um it's you can really take a deep dive into japanese wrestling at this time and uh, you can also take a deep dive into the world of anime because dylan did a show on uh, the show tiger mask w which is very interesting stuff too 
And also, if, you, if you're a Yoshi fan, you will get the first access to Pure Heart, Pure Lariat, where Dylan has different guests on on each episode, and WH has been on there twice. So check this all out. Check me out on Twitter at Striga, S-T-R-I-G-G-A. Also check out my sites, cagematch.net and pearlove.com for more information on Japanese wrestling and basically a huge, huge database on everything around the world of professional wrestling. Yeah, right now I'm using Cage Match to like track all the matches that Marcel Barthel and Fabian Eichner have had on TV because <laughs> I'm a big fan of that tag team. So Cage Match is definitely one of the best resources for any pro wrestling fan out there. Uh, thank you, Striga, for joining me today on episode uh, 20 here. Uh, th- you can follow me, WHPark9, at, uh, at, at, on Twitter. Uh, also, I do the Post Perez podcast with John Pollock every month. And uh, I, this, this show will not come out before the big G1 preview that he... Uh, waiting and myself will be doing but you know like keep listening every month like it's, it's some good stuff I think uh, and I want to thank all the listeners who've been you know, sending fo- pe- positive feedback about uh, previous episodes that have been aired already uh, it's always appreciated I, I, I listen to and read them all of them and I just like it really inspires me to continue to finish this series it's almost done I think what what am I on like uh, we're, we just did 2010 so I got eight more episodes of this Strega to, to record and I, I'm excited. I got a great guest list coming up and I'm just super excited about finishing this and then taking a little bit of break. And then a, a new project I will be announcing at the, <laughs> probably the last episode of this series, which I think maybe I've already talked to you about, but we won't uh, announce it you know, on, on the show yet. So it's definitely is a great project. I have not been able to listen yet because I wanted to watch the matches alongside so i will be doing that when my summer vacation starts and i will be uh going back to all the matches and all the episodes that you put up it's a great project yes and i definitely check out striga's previous episode on uh back in 1996 96 (laughs) very well received episode from a lot of the listeners so until next time i will say to everyone right now goodbye goodbye